Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Awaken Out of Context podcast, where we explore the thoughts and ideas of extraordinary thinkers and performers. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Taylor. She's a self-described neuroscientific truth teller on a mission to create a better and kinder world, one brain at a time. Dr. Taylor is not only the creator of the Unbroken podcast, but also a world-renowned expert in the field of autism. Dr. Rachel and I explore a wider range of topics, including eugenics and genetic therapy, the brain-altering effects of loneliness, what it means to be neurodivergent, the vital role of secure infant attachment, Rachel's psychedelic experience with ayahuasca, how it feels to vomit up capitalism, plus numerous additional insights. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Rachel Taylor. Apparently, I was like rubbing my hands in the vomit and then rubbing it on poor Bob. <laughs> poor Bob, I was rubbing it on him. So I thought we'd start by asking, what's your favourite part of the brain? Oh, my favourite part of the brain is the prefrontal cortex. Do you want to know why? Yes, I would <laughs> love to know why. Because that that is what sets us apart from other animals. That's our gift. Mm. That are the the sort of the the wonderful collection of all the nuclei and the pathways that are there. It's, it's where we have insight. It's where we can reason. It's where we can problem solve. It's where we can have critical thought processes. And mm. um, you know, I actually have you know, I wrote a love letter to the prefrontal cortex because I wanted everybody to know that what I what I'm seeing in, in recent times is that everybody's working for the limbic system, which is my least favorite part of me. I'm waiting to answer that question, but I'll, I'll throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> is the limbic system is that the um it's the one at the bottom? Oh no, that's the basal ganglia. Right, okay. So the limbic system is all around here and it basically um the amygdala is there, so it's like our um, fear center. Well, it, it sort of filters for all emotion, but we have a mm. negative bias, so it's especially programmed for fear. And the hippocampus, so memory stories there, and that's really interesting because the memories that are in our hippocampus often have um, emotions attached to them to make it easier to think, oh, what happens next? Sure. So, yeah, and um, the limbic system really, it, you know, ma- all mammals have a limbic system and this is like where your primal urges and where you know literally when we're animalistic and we're we're reacting instead of and that that thing the thing is like you can respond from the prefrontal cortex because you can think of an appropriate response you mm. react from the limbic system the limbic system works a lot quicker a lot faster than the prefrontal cortex so often you will get an immediate reaction to something which in hindsight might not necessarily be what you want it to be later. It's like, oh, why did I do that? Why oh, so I suppose if you wanted to see how the limbic system works, you could just drink five pints. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Exactly <laughs> that. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't know anything about see how that. It works. Just, just go out on a Friday night and just sit in a corner observe. <laughs> yeah. Be an observational scientist. Yeah, yeah. Just go down one of the strips and, uh, and ob- yeah. observe <laughs> observe yeah <laughs> i used to work in nightlife so oh yeah you're, you're well aware of what of the phenomenon that i'm talking about then <laughs> yeah so how's the podcast going um well really good i've got 
two I have two more um interviews that I want to do with people to cover um two strengths that one and um I'm doing a few myself and in particular the one that I'm really wanting to get to grips on is I want to talk about post-traumatic growth um, because there's been some really yeah. interesting scientific papers where they want to use genetic therapy to help people with PTSD. And I'm, okay. I'm from an ethical point of view and somebody who has complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I, I'm like thinking, I, I'm not sure that's the answer. I'm not sure that genetic therapy is the answer for somebody with PTSD because the environment is still the environment. And we what need is to be... genetic therapy? Well, what they're saying is, is that they can... Um, make changes to protein expression so that you're not going to have um problematic symptoms associated with ptsd oh wow they can make changes to um you know maybe uh, anxiety mechanism and resilience response um the ability to maybe change memories so is this like almost like stem cells but for the brain it wouldn't not just for the brain but for like for the nervous system um, Mm -hmm. and it would be looking to alter sort of the epigenetic response so epigenetics is is sort of the environmental interaction with your genetic profile and it produces proteins from there Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing is like people have trauma trauma is not a disease per se trauma is something that happens to you and there's there's so much evidence that trauma is when something has happened to you and it's not it's you you don't bear witness to it so somebody hasn't said to you this is really bad what happened to you shouldn't have happened you know you 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 have been through a horrific time you know and actually supported you through that to to actually work with your body work with your brain to, to get that out most people with ptsd are treated as if it's a mental health condition. Well, PTSD is it's a nervous system response based okay. on things that have happened in your environment. And some people, it could be complex because it's gone on many, many occasions, many, many years. And for some people, they can get PTSD from seeing a horrific car accident and not being supported to process how bad that was. You know, people have different reactions. Mm. So I really want to look at post-traumatic growth because all... From, from a, a perspective as well, if somebody has PTSD, are you saying that they're broken and they need fixing because of what's mm. happened to them? Mm. What kind of message is that giving out to people? So, so what's, um, what's the alternative solution? Well, the alternative solution is that we all need to realise that the environment is increasingly toxic. And mm-hmm. that's, some people need support more than, more than others when you've had something like that. We need more nurture. We need more care. We need more... We need more of what I say in, in that, you know, you're not broken, the environment is. You know, most people are acting in a real normal way to an increasingly abnormal environment. Yes. You know? So Do you know, it reminds be- me, um, I've got a quote here from you, actually. Just talking about uh, environment. So you said, uh, so... Uh, we have to stop thinking about anxiety as being a sign that there is something wrong with us. We need to start seeing anxiety as a sign that there is something wrong with our environment. I yeah. thought that was really good. Oh, thank you. Like Please I've done you. so much, um, done a lot of stuff on anxiety and, you know, been through it myself, like 99% of people and the rest of it. Yeah. But I thought that was a really, you know, when something hits you and it's really obvious. Yeah. Really simple, 
but yeah, like that could fix anything. And, you know, I still have my bouts, but I've got it under control these days. And, you know, there might be people at work or whatever, and Mm. you can see them suffering with it. And it's kind of just like, just take a step back. Mm -hmm. How's your sleep? How's your caffeine intake? How's your daylight? Yeah. You know, how's your exercise? How, and it's really... how much connection have you got? Who's yeah. supporting you? What doom and gloom do you watch on an everyday basis? Who feeds yeah. you fear? Exactly. Yeah. But it seems so simple once you've been through that process yourself. But when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the mud, it mm. can be difficult, right? Well, and this is what I'm saying. It's about, you know, human beings are not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be, we're not, we're not an isolationist species. Mm. We're meant to be in supportive groups. And we've, and we've sort of lost the plot with that. It's like these, we're meant to be, um, it, it, we're meant to feel valued. And this is really interesting because when, when we sense disrespect, right, we get a stress response. And the stress response is actually sent out from the basal gap. So this is the bottom part of the brain. Okay. So we, we, we get that stress response to warn us that we're being disrespected. That might mean that we're being going to be thrown out of the group. We're not valued by the group. We mm. uh, don't matter to the group. And we're hardwired that we need to be in a group because we need other people. So when, when people, um, I say stuck in, stuck in the mire or stuck in the mud with anxiety, mm. you know, it's that you, you need somebody by your side who's not trying to fix you, not yes. trying to well, do this, do that, do this, do that. You don't need that. You need to be accepted that this is where you are. You need, like, I say the greatest gift you can give to someone is saying, I see your pain. I'm just going to sit next to you. I've got your hand while you're in this pain. That's mm. my gift to you. I don't need to fix you. You need to understand yourself. You need to understand how you've got to where you've got to. And mm-hmm. that's not taking responsibility for it. That's actually being able to see your environment and put pieces together. And think, oh, you know, I listened to somebody who said that I was no good, that I wasn't good enough, that I was always wanting. You know, listen to that. And that's made me have a really skewed version of who I am. Or it might be, I really thought that um, it would be good to, to please that person, to put in a 16-hour day for however many days. And actually, I've just realised that that didn't matter to them at all. I'm just another another number. But I mm. thought I was special. You know, there's all many diff- there's so many different avenues that can cause somebody to be in pain. And what we need is we need a friend to sit next to us and say, I see your pain. I'm going to, I accept you. I love you. I'm not going to try and fix you. I'm just going to sit with you as you are right now. And then whatever you need, I'm going to help to provide. Mm. That's what we should do. Yeah, I think we've all been there, right? Yeah, it's human, human, right? Yeah, it's interesting what you were saying then about, um, you know, about being out of the group and things. And I suppose that loneliness is so common now, even just being a single man you know, and just, you know, 30-odd-year-old male, I suppose that the chimp brain, Mm -hmm. when you're having your tea on your own or whatever, and even though you're kind of all right with it, it's probably thinking, I've been kicked out of the group. Or do do you know what I mean, in some way? Yeah, it's it's like we, we naturally want to be in a group, and when we're not in one, we start thinking what's wrong with us, naturally. We start thinking, why am I not in a group? And loneliness, uh, loneliness, social isolation is a killer. And it it 
it shifts the structure of the brain. The brain changes structure when you have been socially isolated. And socially isolated isn't going to the pub or going to the nightclub or going dancing or going having fun with friends. Social mm. isolation is when you are not in meaningful contact with other human beings. Yeah. And when, when, that, when we are socially isolated, the amygdala, my little friends in the limbic system, start to enlarge. So they start to monitor the environment more for threats and potential danger. So your attention is just diverted to things that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And you start to be scared of the very thing that you're craving. So you're craving human contact, but you will put such a fairy tale vision of what that contact should be that it's very easy for you to reject all contact that doesn't fit this idealized version of what it should be to have human contact. So you're actually rejecting the very thing that you're craving. Wow. That's what, that's what the brain does when you've been socially isolated. I'd never heard of it like that. <laughs> I am to please. <laughs> yeah. I'm just digesting that. Wow. Yeah, that's heavy. Uh, <laughs> it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, do you know what? I learned a new... I'm embarrassed to say I learned a new word this week. <laughs> I love learning new words. That's not an embarrassment. I feel like I'm a little bit behind the curve. Uh, neurodiverse. Oh, yeah. I never heard of that. Well, 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 you're a bit behind the curve because a new way of doing it is neurodivergent. Ah, <laughs> so. uh, well, see, I'd heard neurodivergent, but I thought oh. it'd sound a bit cooler if I took if I went back to the diverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diver well, well, there you go. So you, you, no, you were, you were cool, and you didn't even know it. You yeah, you were divergent before the diverse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like arriving late at a party. <laughs> Still got there, but you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, they've already paired off. <laughs> so am I right? It's um dyslexia, autism, ADHD. ADHD, ADD, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, anything that is atypical within the brain comes under neurodiversity. So that's what yeah. ties them together. Yeah. And and there's some arguments about some other conditions, but it's like when you speak to people who are neurodiverse, mm. and this is really interesting in terms of autism and Asperger's, mm -hmm. is that uh, it was decided a few years ago that autism and Asperger's should be put together and people with Asperger's, and I agree with them, having researched people with atypicalities, that they shouldn't be, that they, their particular place within atypicalities was not the same as people with autism. And I kind of agree with them. But, mm. you know, the people who make the decisions, <laughs> if I made the decisions, things would be a lot different. Um, people who make the decisions decided to put those both together. But, yeah, but atypicalities in the brain is one of my favourite things. Right, okay. Mm. Are there any sort of... How do I phrase this question? Are there any new neurological traits that are more likely to, to co-occur? Does that make sense? <laughs> This is the thing with neurodiversity, right? Mm -hmm. Is that people who are neurodiverse are very um, aware that they're different. Mm -hmm. And most people who, and really interestingly, when we're talking about social isolation, is that they're really acutely aware that they might not be accepted by the group. Mm -hmm. 
So they will often do their best to pretend that they're not different, to mask it, to camouflage it. Mm-hmm. And that takes a serious amount of energy. So you, you like have people who maybe that they get too tired to do that. So they will just naturally want to be around people who are like them because they don't need to pretend. Mm-hmm. Or you'll get people, interesting when I was doing my research, I had people with autism who couldn't stand to be around other people with autism because they couldn't mask their autism as good as they could. So therefore, they were they were like quite disparaging, and no wonder they get in trouble. No wonder this happens to them because they like literally look like sitting ducks mm. for society. And it was like, God, this is so interesting, but so tragic at the same time. Yeah, I had um, I, I interviewed people, I spoke to many many people, and one of the things that stuck into my mind was one person who used to go salsa dancing once a week mm-hmm. for an hour because everybody had to dance with everybody else and he knew that he needed human contact through touch and he'd written himself off that no woman would ever find him attractive so he'd found an activity that he could do so that Mm -hmm. he could get some oxytocin from that human contact and um, at the start of all the pandemic policies I thought Mm -hmm. how many people like him are now not getting any human contact and mm. that to me was criminal yeah absolutely criminal so it's like you know so i'm very passionate about neurodiversity it's, it's like my passion project it's like i could do other things as well mm-hmm. but, but my my research in neurodiversity it's, it's the thing that it always and i never get tired of telling the stories i never get tired of banging that drum about what people need to be well what people need to feel included and how everybody should just stop taking it so personally when they cannot cope with life so they have some sort of emotional outburst or so you know it's just like we should be actually supporting these people not feeling uncomfortable by how mm. they you know expressing their discomfort or expressing their frustration I, th- I think that we all need to just stop making it. We just stop being so selfish. Stop making it about us. Yeah. And start making it about other people. Yeah, here, yeah, yeah. here. I'm very, very passionate about the neurodiverse. <laughs> yeah, it comes across. And, and let's talk about that because obviously I don't want to assume anyone who, who might be listening because you've done... <laughs> It wasn't your PhD, was it your yeah. PhD? It was yeah. your PhD. Yeah, I developed the first um, theory of well-being for um, adults with autism in the world. Wow. Ever. Yeah. Okay, and what and what are the pillars of that? Or do you matter? Is that is it too is it too difficult to go into no, now? No, no, it's, it's, no, it's really easy. And this yeah. is this is the thing is that people with you know people with autism are human beings. Mm. They don't need things dissimilar to neurotypicals and this is this is a heartbreaking thing they just need they just need it more mm-hmm. of it because mm-hmm. of their atypicalities so they need to have acceptance um self-acceptance and acceptance from others they need to have meaning which is not purpose but me why am i here people i everybody that i spoke to about you know within my research everybody at some point had had an existential crisis which was pretty horrific mm-hmm. why am I here what's my purpose why is it so difficult mm-hmm. and then there was like sort of the 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 sort of the older ones like I do, I'm not suicidal but this is so hard I can't wait to die this is just so hard mm. so you have like sort of that meaning and the acceptance and uh, the backdrop of it all is environmental conditions 
So it right. becomes even more about you know, people with um, autism are very sensitive to heavy metals. They have very sensitive guts. They have very sensitive emotions. And I actually explored um, my um, hypothesis that they have an atypical amygdala that actually feels emotions, sort of filters it better, uh, more sensitively than a, a neurotypical. So it's like literally overwhelming. It's mm. like, what do I do with all this information? It's like everybody that I spoke, it's like they, they could tell the mood and the atmosphere of a room before walking in it. And they wanted yeah. to see the world. They wanted to make the world a better place. Empathic. Yeah, extremely empathic, you know, mm. which is like at odds with quite a lot of other research. And I was like, no, these people, they feel emotion in such an acute way that actually it, it, it leads to burnout for them. It leads to, um, you know, not not understanding what to do with it because they like had so much emotional empathy but a deficit in cognitive empathy knowing what to do with that wow knowing what where to take it so the, the environment is, is huge with that and then the golden thread pulling it all together is this social comparison theory that they compare themselves with others far more than mm-hmm. neurotypicals they are constantly on high alert you walk in and like you were talking, you know, we were talking about parties and stuff like that. Some of those people will walk into a party and immediately be assessing the room. What's my role in this party? What's my role in this group? Where can I make myself useful? Where can I fit in? Where can I um, make myself indispensable so that I'm not going to get thrown out of this group? Uh-huh. That's huge. That that it takes so much energy, and people with autism die 15 to 20 years before neurotypicals. We're in the 21st century. That should not be happening. Wow. This is why. Yeah. Yeah. That's highly likely to be environmental. It's a collection of all of it. It's well-being. It's a a whole world. Well-being is not smelly candles and fancy crystals and going to your local Buddha center. Mm -hmm. That's not Mm well-being. Well-being is your ability to look after your body, your physical, mental, emotional body, to be able to deal with the challenges and adversity that, that life throws at you. Mm. And, and if you if you can't, if, if you have inadequate resources, if you have inadequate support, if you don't have acceptance, don't have meaning, then you, you're going to have, you know, wear and tear on your allostatic load. That's actually going to mean that you die before somebody who is who hasn't got atypicalities? It's as simple as that. And I'm right. I'm not disparaging of the smelly candle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know they have the place, don't they? I but, love a smell smelly candle. Yeah, you know who doesn't? Well, apparently they're not good for you, but yeah, hey, I'm not being disparaging. But what oh, I'm saying, yeah, you've got to go soy. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just too (laughs) too complex now. But it's not like somebody can oh right, well being oh I'm autistic oh I'll go and buy myself a smell of candle that'll sort it out. Mm. No, it won't. No, (laughs) well that'll sort it out. Do you think there are more people living with ASD now, or is it just that we're because some of the stats show that right? But is it just that we're getting better at diagnosing it? I think that um, the spectrum is so wide and and I don't think the diagnostic models themselves I, and the people who develop them, I, I'm, you know, I am trained to do autism diagnostics myself. 
and I, I argue and just say this this is not fit for purpose. I think the diagnostic themselves are, are focus on very specific nuances, and mm-hmm. I I think that you have to be really careful with children because I see a lot of children in distress who potentially could be diagnosed as autistic when in fact they're children in distress and expressing that distress in a way that you might think is autism. But actually when you look at how they interact in other ways, they wouldn't necessarily fit under the autistic uh, blanket. But because in in the UK, because of how we live, and because of um, you know money constraints and, and things like that, mm-hmm. it'd be like that people would want to have a label for their child mm-hmm. because that's the only way that their child could get any kind of support. Yes. And what I'm saying is that if a child is distressed, it shouldn't really be, it shouldn't be the first thing that we do is, oh, you know, let's get a diagnosis so that we can get some help. It's like, let's help all children who are distressed. Let's leave them until they are older before we're given any kind of diagnosis. Let's see how their development progresses. Let's see how we should be kinder. We should be developing, nurturing, inclusive environments where we can, children start to feel safer. And when I say I see children who are in distress, I see children who are unable to focus. I see children who are acting very infantile you know, like four mm-hmm. years and they're acting like the two years old. Mm-hmm. I see children who are, um, they don't look healthy. They look a bit, you know, the, the, their eyes are not bright and they're not curious like you mm-hmm. would expect a child to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that's from a child perspective. It's like, I don't think we should be giving any child an atypicality badge, you know, and, and especially like ADHD that just, that blows my mind that so many children get put on mm. um, medication. I, I, I find it, and this might be controversial, and I apologise to anybody who feels that I'm being unfair. Mm-hmm. I think from my perspective, and, and I've worked in schools, and I've seen these children, often these children, they've not got ADHD. They've, they've got uh, an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed till somebody's 25 anyway mm-hmm. if you imagine that a child is given a tablet a smartphone is allowed access to applications where um literally the seven seconds that is not teaching the brain to focus so you know i i i have a particular issue with tiktok and i think that any parent who allows a child to go on tiktok is actually mm. that child to be abused and I'm going to say, and I don't care if any parent falls out with me that. Yeah, it's TikTok, pretty hideous. TikTok especially, it leads a person down. And, and when I first saw it, I, I, you can, you like looking at, oh, my God, this is how people get addicted to it. And the, and I just like look at it and I'm just like, how can anybody allow a child to, to go on this? Did you, you know? know the whole uh, thing about um, China's version of TikTok? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's all... Like rocket ships and yeah, yeah, and all, that. and then they won't let them have our version of it. No, it's it's and it, it's the thing is, um, I know people who sort of sitting on these tech meetings and like they try to you know they speak with the technicians like from Instagram. You know, I don't like anything to do with Facebook. I call anything to do mm-hmm. with like an agents of darkness. So I won't use any technology that comes mm-hmm. under Meta. None mm-hmm. of it. And, mm-hmm. and I don't care how awkward that 
feels for me and people do because like oh you know like what's that group no and they'll go oh too many groups no I I can't just say oh yeah too many groups I have to say no Mm. because I'm authentic in the work that I do and I cannot use anything that I think is psychologically damaging Mm. (laughs) and then you could just say oh god (laughs) it kind of works well I try have a ban on groups actually for that for for a similar reason because it brings out the worst in me and the worst in everyone else. Yeah. I, I get just, very sensitive. Yeah. And I find myself all of a sudden trying to impress or saying something. And yeah. then it usually doesn't land. And then someone will take the piss at me. And then I'll get really <laughs> upset. And it's crazy. Yeah. It's that group thing again. It's just like, because how can we read you? So when, when you're going to communicate, and this is why I hate, like, you know, when they're like, oh, it's great. We can't see people, but we can have Zoom parties. And I'm like, oh my God, that's just so bad. It's so bad. Because it's like, you can't, you need to, your brain needs to see that other person's nuances. You can't see the nuances through a screen. You just can't, you can't see the micro expressions and you certainly Mm. can't feel the pheromones, feel the chemicals. So it's difficult for you to know if someone's actually being sarcastic, being truthful, Mm -hmm. being fun, being playful. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to find those nuances and the brain works really hard to try and and get it. So you end up tired. So I hope we can do this in person next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's better. You can see, can see my nuances there. You can see all my nuances. Yeah. <laughs> my micro expressions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit wild when you think about it after a while and you're like, I'm just looking at pixels. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we, I, my partner wants to get a new TV. I don't know. Like, right, okay. I don't want a smart TV. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, like, you have like the, um, you know, people, the salespeople, like looking at you as if you're stupid. Like, why would you not want a smart TV? Mm-hmm. I don't want I, I don't want to have people being able to access my house. Yeah. Oh, I just turn the internet off then. Well, they can override that. I'm not stupid. I'm a scientist, so you know, right? <laughs> and then I was looking at some of the people like, oh, look at this OLED, isn't it, mate? I went, that's not real. It's mm. not real. Mm. It, and I said, and this is what it's doing. It's giving a false impression and saying it's reality to people. And I said, and we know that the majority of people now don't really use a prefrontal cortex, so they'll think that's real. Mm. And then it's caused all sorts of problems. Yeah. And I was like, why can you not buy a TV that's not smart? Surely I'm not the only person who doesn't want GCHQ being able to go through my telly. Surely mm. I'm not. And not because I'm up to anything dodgy, but because, you know what, I'm a human being and I deserve Yeah, you have the right to, to privacy, right, to privacy, don't you? Yeah. Unless they suspect that you that you're not kosher, and yeah. then and then they've got the right to in, infiltrate, and they, they they don't need anything too solid to do it. You know, yeah, it's just, yeah, like, of course. And you know, I just think that people need to understand where we're going with technology. That just because we can doesn't mean we should. That's yeah. fair How enough. Get there from neurodiversity. <laughs> I love it. That was I very diverse. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I've, and I've got, I think I've got two different VPN subscriptions and I have to admit, I'm, I don't always put them on because it's just very inconvenient. And then they've got me. That's the point. They've got me. That's the point, yeah. But um, yeah, just before we move off autism, yeah. one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, because we were talking earlier about um, childhood childhood diagnosis yeah now 
all the things you said, I fully agree with. And, you know, don't put the labels mm. on them at such an early age. But what if uh, someone was in a situation whereby maybe the, the child's not been speaking for, for quite a long time, maybe they're two, three years old, whatever it may be, I'm not an expert. Um, what can they do without labeling them? Do you know what I mean? What, what can they do if they are worried? What is the best yeah. step to take? And if, if they feel like they're not getting the support? Well, the really interesting thing, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was a really, um, really lovely study that showed that obviously there's, there's signs of global delay before speech, before anything like that. And it's actually all about social interaction because we learn to speak, we learn to socialize from watching other people. So it's like every, every parent needs to ensure that they are being social with their baby and mm. with them with the trying to be tactful when you go out when you go out and you see parents who are out how many of those parents are allowing babies toddlers young children to be sat on smartphones at tables or put mm-hmm. them into the television so this is not to blame or shame this is just to say that children learn how to speak, they learn how to be social, they learn how to be human by mm. modeling the people around them. So take so your your attachment style, so how you attach to other people yes. is, is imprinted in your amygdala before mm-hmm. you are 18 months old. So before you even realize that you're separate mm-hmm. from your primary carer, mm-hmm. how you attach to other people is based on your experiences from zero to 18 months. Wow. So, which will then affect your dating life, your marriage, and everything else. Every, everything else. Wow. Exactly. Everything else. Um, and not many people know that. Maybe you should start a relationship. <laughs> relationship. You know, this, so you need to understand. I do. I do like. I do an attachment program um, for uh, an amazing organisation who are called the Reese Foundation, who work, work with care experienced adults, so people who've been in the care system since you know, being a child and who are now adults. And that for me has been taking people through that process for them to understand their attachment style and how mm. they've got to where they've got to and then realise that really there's nothing they can do. I mean, how how many people would give an 18-month-old child <laughs> responsibility for, it, for attachment? Mm. But, but, mm. but the very fact that we have the mechanism, that that's how it works, that before mm. you're 18 months old, you attachment shows pretty much how we should live does it not yes yeah i suppose as well if you imagine um babies that were born during the pandemic because of that lack of connection yeah that must be it we must be in a few years time when the data comes out will be we don't need to do the data at the time honestly um I think it was at the start of this year that I realized that I've actually been in one big PTSD episode throughout the pandemic because I could not understand how such policies were allowed to pass for a virus that wasn't deadly mm-hmm. for the vast majority of people, particularly with some of, like you say, with the children, the babies and and I couldn't believe that. I thought, where are the developmental psychologists? Why are they not mm-hmm. saying this is bad 
Yeah. Learn from the so the mirror neuron system if they mm-hmm. cannot see because of this is bad. Yeah. We all learn from the mirror neuron system, so we learn from looking at other people. We learn from, and this is you know just touching on the autism. Autism, they have difficulty in understanding some of the nuances, difficulty in interpreting it. They still mm. have a mirror neuron system. They still need to have that. So if like for parents, you need to talk to your children. A television is not a parent. An iPad is not a parent. A smartphone is a is literally a weapon of torture. Mm. Take off your children. It's yeah. really bad for them. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, it, it made me laugh. It, you know, um, somebody was telling me, I think it was in one of the mainstream media, that there's like a big furore. I think there was somebody in Australia who they, they'd filmed a, a toddler vaping, right? So there was a big furore over that. And yet nobody, there's no big furore when you go out to your local harvester or your local, you know, no, no, you pull up to have your Sunday dinner and you see all these toddlers sat around a table with the parents' smartphone. There's no furore about that. It's mm. similar. I mean, you know, it, it's really interesting because obviously nicotine is the most addictive substance known to man. Mm. But the, the, the reward system is damaged by what children see on, you know, smartphones. Blue light is not good. Blue light doesn't help the brain to develop. So... It's like, how can we have furore over one thing, but not furore over another? So, for, for you know, for any parent, mm. like, you know, it's like, start socialising your babies from as soon as they're born, you know. Mm. And, um, interestingly, my, my research into autism wasn't my original PhD subject. <laughs> right. I, I, I was really interested in um, genetic proteins of, of the emotion joy, because wow. we, can, we can map joy on a premature baby's face which has a supposition really? that, yeah it's the only emotion that we, we feel in utero so it's underpinned by oxytocin they have a look of joy when they're very close to their primary carer can you map joy in an adult yeah yeah it's similar yeah it's sim- yeah similar similar um change in the face and it's that it's that whole thing connection to something other than yourself you know mm. it's like, it's, it's, you've got an oxytocin on, underlying so that, that would I, I wanted to do you know sexy molecular biology molecular <laughs> 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 neurobiology look at me i've mapped the protein that's associated with joy and and when i, I went i went to i was sat in somebody's lecture and they basically said that people with autism couldn't be happy now, I don't like happiness because it's a social construct, but I thought, God, that's, mm. that's a pretty mean generalisation. And then when I looked into literature and thought nobody cared about the well-being, that, that took me for that. But, you know, when we're talking about children, that that joy, that connection. Yes. You know, it's, yeah, it, it, it's something to really think about, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, your podcast is called Unbroken. But now the more we talk about it, I think you, you, it's the system that's broken, isn't it? God, it's yeah, the, the culture. System, yeah. So, you know, you're talking about people in Harvester, other pubs are available. With, <laughs> yeah, other pubs are available. <laughs> with, I don't know whether uh, you take a tea or need to with a spoon, so. <laughs> yeah, with their iPads and things like that. And, yeah. of course, um, when you look at it from a, a sympathetic view, it's it's kind of the, it's the system, isn't it? And it's And it's the fact that, it is really hard for parents now, isn't it? And with the pressure of two parents having to work or whatever it is and the um, 
all the issues there is around um i mean what like maternity pay and stuff like that because it's not statutory or the statutory is yeah, not it's, yeah worth... it's i think so it's still about 100, 140 pound a week i think so. yeah, yeah it's ridiculous and there seems to be i feel like um you're punished if you have children and um yeah i think it's i think it's disgusting actually and i think yeah. we should be encouraged because there's so much around um you know encouragement for career and all that and that's absolutely yeah. great but actually um we need we need people to have a healthy society and so that we don't have a population collapse in 30 years <laughs> well it, i mean and it's not that it's like you know uh, i think I just, yesterday i described um how we live as the world uh, as literally the biggest ponzi scheme i've ever known mm. is that everybody is either working hard to make somebody else rich, mm-hmm. working hard to make somebody else powerful, mm-hmm. or they're vilified to such an extent that people don't want to divulge that maybe they're not working, maybe they are disabled, maybe they are poorly, maybe there is something wrong with them and they don't want to divulge that because then they're part of the shirkers, aren't they? And this mm-hmm. is a massive part of the problem. And, you know, um, I, I, I've had a, a bit of a tumultuous time myself, like, you know, speaking to people this week and, and a couple of weeks and the toxicity that, that's out there around certain messaging. I'm like, you know, you, you're still going back to familiar with the messaging. You said you wanted to do different. You know, mm-hmm. you said you wanted things to be different, but you go, you, you're accessing the same toxicity, you know, of LinkedIn to find people's opinions. Yeah. Now, if there's ever a cesspit of virtue signalers, go to LinkedIn. If you ever needed a demographic, I want the most toxic virtue signalers that I can find, go to LinkedIn because about 80% of the people there, that, that they fit that demographic. LinkedIn or Twitter? No, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't comment on Twitter because I, I haven't I, been on it for a very long time. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't know what Elon Musk is doing, but God knows, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's an interesting thing. You know, but it's like, what do you want to achieve? You're not going to achieve it. It's like, you know, for me, those kind of places. It's like, oh, I feel really bad about something. I haven't got the energy to change anything. So I'm just going to have a tirade on here and I'm going to feel better when 200 people have liked it. Mm. That's addiction. <laughs> That's an yes. addiction. very faulty yeah. reward system addiction. Yeah. You need to change the world. And, and it's like the system wants you to behave like that mm-hmm. because then the system knows that you're behind your computer, you're a keyboard warrior and that's what that's all you're going to do you're going to have a focus group you're going to have a help group you're going to Mm. have a day of awareness and that's where it stops so that's safe for the system yeah no and yeah it's 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 addiction to validation and uh dopamine uh, yeah let me share something that made me cry this morning i've had a very tumultuous day um my partner arrived back. He he's up in Edinburgh most of the time, and he arrived back. And I was like, I was like, David, listen to this <laughs> straight away. It's really like, listen to this, David. <laughs> and it's just like, um, I went. So I said, um, you see that these articles, these opinion pieces, and it's they're written by women, and they're talking about this really amazing place that women can go. They get all dressed up 
in uh, hazmat suits, the protection suits, and they have like like a, a baseball bat or something like that. And then they go into a room and they smash everything in that room up and get their anger out. And I said, and this and this, it's it's meant to be like a serve. Oh, look at these women dealing with that anger in this way. And I'm just like, <laughs> I went, and nobody's saying, right? Nobody's saying, right? Well, that's really normal in an abnormal. So if someone's in an abnormal environment where a woman is so angry, she needs to express it in that way. That's mm. a normal expression, but that's not how women normally should be. Mm. Women do not have a testosterone that makes people fired up and aggressive. Women mm. have estrogen, which makes them calm and serene. Mm. You know, we're talking hormones here. Mm. So the very fact that this is being normalized, that women can get dressed up and go into a room and smash the shit out of it, and we're meant to celebrate that, I went, that actually makes me want to just sit down and cry because mm-hmm. that shows how distorted and how far away from healthy and caring and nurturing we've got to. And, and, and yeah, I, I cry almost daily, Jason, about just literally I feel, I actually realised this morning that I have moral distress. Wow. Which is generally reserved for nurses, right? Yeah where they literally cannot treat a, a patient as they think that patient should be treated. I, have I can feel it. Yeah, I have I can feel it, Rachel. <laughs> because it's like, I see so much pain and I cannot help everybody with it because people don't want to listen. They don't want to, they don't want to see mm. the elephant in the room. They, they haven't got the energy for it. They're too entrenched in this nightmare dopamine addiction. Mm-hmm. They're too entrenched in Love Island. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you a question. And this is nothing to do with what I'm saying, but this is going to be quite interesting to get your gauge in it, right? So, you know, um, <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson. And I was really impressed because I didn't know that it was actually a reference to Game of Thrones. I've never seen it. So when okay. I heard about what he said about Megan, I was like, wow, that, that seems a bit extreme. I didn't know it was a reference to What did he say? He said that she should be paraded through the streets and excrement thrown at her. Apparently that's what happened to a princess in a Game of Thrones. So it, it didn't yeah. really say, wow. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah, it's a Game of Thrones reference. Uh, do you know, I've just, do you know, <laughs> I've watched it four times. And I probably wouldn't have, but it says more about me. I probably wouldn't have got that reference. I'm not very quick. <laughs> well, I've never watched it. So somebody, somebody's, oh, it's a Game of Thrones reference. Like, all oh, right. Because I was like, wow, that's very specific, Jeremy. Yeah. Like, you know? I mean. And, I th- and, and I was like, he he was like, ITV came out. Oh, he's never working for us again. You know, that's completely misogynistic. So Everything that's just was- happened recently. I think it happened a couple of months ago. Is that what? Yeah. I get. But, I, get, I but, can't but keep the, up with Jeremy Clarkson. In the same week, and this is what what I'm interested in your take. So in the same week, so ITV came out. It's misogynistic. He shouldn't mm-hmm. say. He had to apologise, and he did do. He said, "I didn't want to upset people with it." You know, you were just after intention. He, well, his his editor had agreed. You know, I think it was in the Sun or the Mirror. I don't even know which one of those in it, but it's one of those. Broad- oh, so it wasn't just off the cuff. It wasn't. Just, it was in. It was in an editorial. Oh, it was in um, the Sun, and that's normally <laughs> such. Uh, you know. <laughs> amazing so, newspaper but they, so they came out and vilified him and said you know we don't we don't allow misogyny we don't allow hate talk on itv and the same week love island started right how is it different yeah i mean <laughs> how is that different yeah i i understand 
this is what this is what we're working with in the but, system yeah i mean it's so difficult isn't it because what what do you do other than well, this and this is why this is why I cry. This is why I cry. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, like it, it's kind of a hopeless situation in, it's, in it's some like, It's double speak all the time. It's like you know, like my favorite, my favorite novelist, my favorite writer is Kafka, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you know, I often think, oh my god, well, um, we're just living in a Kafka novel right now. But obviously, double speak comes from you know George Orwell for you know Big mm. Brother. Like, what is they, they make they say something and then say the opposite and, and they're both the truth you know so mm. which is the brain gets confused by it it's like where's our parameters what is the truth where what should i be paying attention to so mm. it's like you, you're basically waiting on a daily basis to be told how should i behave today what mm. is the, the you know the zeke geist of the day you know what what is a you know the influence who who should it be who should it be virtue signaling about today <laughs> you know? yeah that's yeah what it is. And, and you know that's a nice quite a loop right and that's why i want people to use the prefrontal cortex more yes so you can be as arty as you want as long as you are thinking about oh, it. You're deliberate. <laughs> as long as it's a response and not a reaction be as yeah. arty as you like but i want it to be a considered response and that's yeah. what it's to be absolutely yeah. yeah well i think um yeah i mean i live i i understand everything you're saying and i do feel like that at times but i do live with hope and do you know what one of the things that <laughs> makes me hopeful is do you know what I love? I love podcasting. Yeah. I love podcasters. And that's um, why I started this, because I get so much, I don't know if it's joy, but I get so much um, kind of growth. And I know it's still, I know it's in my headphones and I'm not actually seeing the person or whatever, but it really can lift me out yeah. of feeling um, kind of like weird and mm. abnormal i mean where i live we're kind of at the, the end of the longest <laughs> cold don't, don't the, world. Out the people where you live you might have people with pitchforks say we're not like that <laughs> yeah no i mean it's you know i think because when you try to um it's nice because you can listen to someone on the other side of the world in america and they might have different views and yeah. i mean that's always been the case and things with music when it came over and, and all, yeah. all the rest of it but it's nice to kind of be able to at least digitally sort of broaden your horizons yeah and sort of hear different because and the uk itself can be a very um uh is it tallest poppy syndrome what's the uh, is that what it's called yeah where you get chopped down um you know for being a little bit or if you're too extroverted or if you if you do something or whatever and sometimes that brings me down and you kind of yeah. like you don't want to do anything you don't want to do anything kind of like out there because yeah you know you feel like you're going to be judged yeah but um except yeah. for that and it was like really weird because when I, after I, I gave this tirade about you know oh god the world is just in in such a state I then got an email from a really amazing person who I'd worked with who was telling me in detail some of the stuff that I'd suggested that she did and it was so beautiful and so uplifting that it had made mm. such a difference to her life and and like my partner said he said it's the it's the one people that you touch that you need to focus on because yeah. you, when you work with people <clears throat> he said they always tell you that you've changed their life and you mm. need to focus on on that 
and um and I, and I do and it's really lovely but I think there's just this when I have a very abstract brain and it's like I can piece together things from all over and actually think, might I ask you are you not neurodiverse <laughs> no I'm not I'm not and this is really interesting because when when I speak at conferences and there's lots, lots of people there who are they come and talk to me after and say that I must be because I understand them and mm. I speak with such passion and respect and kindness so I must I must be one because mm. and I'm like I'm really I always feel apologetic I always apologize I'm, I'm really sorry I'm not yeah. and then they say oh but you are because that's denial <laughs> and we all know through <laughs> that and I'm like I, I'm really I, I would say um you know looking at the autism spectrum quotient which is Baron Cohen's offering to you know diagnostics I am highly traded in a couple mm -hmm. of traits but mm -hmm. in the ones that that really affect somebody with autism so the ability you know so that, that social dynamics that mm -hmm. going into a group I can go I I don't I don't look for what my role could be in a group <laughs> I just go to the group mm. I'm just my it's like there's no work me and home me I'm just me. There's yeah. no, oh, I'll behave differently in this context to that context. I'm just the same. So, yeah. So, whereas I'm highly traded in things like, I like patterning. I like, you know, when things get too much, I often count in a certain order, you know, to, mm -hmm. to help my brain just to focus on something so my thought process doesn't get too, you know, hyper, hyper, hyper with it. Um, yep. But, you know, I'm not, but I have a very abstract brain is that if I'm working on something, I'll often be working on three or four things simultaneously. Wow. And switching between. That's impressive. Yeah. That's very how impressive. I bring, bring things because I think, oh, if I do this and this will help that. And, and then so it's like very organic. Mm. Sort of everything coming together all at the same time, even though like might be three or four separate projects. So that's what I mean when I say my brain's abstract. So when right. I, look the, I look at the environment that we live in, and I see that something's happening with energy, something's happening with schools, something's happening with social care, something's happening with business. It's like, I don't know whether it's a blessing or a curse that I can have this overview and see how it's all part of, you know, this systemic push that we, it's a zero sum game. Have you ever done psychedelics? So, yeah, I, yeah, I have. I've done San Pedro and Ayahuasca. Wow, I've not done it. I, do you know, I was talking to Joey about this. I feel like I'm going to get stereotyped into the psychedelics guy, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just interested by it. Yeah, I've done um, some stuff, but I, I've not done ayahuasca. And the way you were speaking then, I was like, oh yeah, like, uh, it's like that wide angle. Yeah, where you can see stuff. <laughs> Right, ayahuasca. Oh, it was so. Yeah, it was. Tell me about it. Right. So, went to a tiny island north of Denmark called Fimu with oh. the most amazing shaman called Jakob, and he had an assistant, Bob. There was me, and there was my friend who who came with me, and um, it was really interesting. I was so tired. It was just. It was actually on the solstice, winter solstice. So it was just before Christmas, and we'd like sort of arranged to go for three days. Were you outside? Do you have your coats on and that? Oh, well, I just. Well, what I'm saying is, like, I was like literally, I was exhausted from trying to. Get so, like, we'd got the flight to Copenhagen, and then he was picking us up from Copenhagen to take us to the ferry and right at the north to get the ferry across to Fimu. 
Uh-huh. And um, it was all very surreal. So we, we get to where we were, we're, we're going for the ceremony and um, we, he was preparing, we started the ceremony and, um, and the plants hit me very hard, very quickly. I literally had taken, I, I drank it and I went lying back on the mattress and I looked at this candle in this window and I thought, oh my God, what's that candle doing? And then I looked at the, the assistant who's called Bob um, for the shape I went, I feel really sick. And he laughed. That's a good went, name to have for an assistant. Because if he was called anything, at Bob I could Danish. hold on to. And it was like, and the next thing, and this is the last thing that I can consciously remember being awake. I was literally vomiting up oh, capitalism. Wow. <laughs> I was vomiting. I was like, it was capitalism. There was all these fat cats. There was all this. And I was like, Ugh! it was like, I was being sick. That's one hell of a whitey. It was like, and I was just like, oh God, what is this? <laughs> and and apparently, and I wasn't aware of this, apparently I was like rubbing my hands in the vomit and then rubbing, rubbing it on poor Bob. <laughs> poor Bob, I was rubbing it on him. And then I literally, oh I, was out, I, was, I was out cold on the mattress. Oh I was my word. Cold. And the visions that I had was, uh, you know, when did I do it? Was it, two, I, I think it was 2016. And so this, as vi- I, can rem- I can remember the visions, it's so vivid. I can't remember what year it was. It was, it was, was it, oh, it might be 2017, actually, it was 2017. Mm. And um, the, the visions were so vivid and it was... Um, good year, by the way. <laughs> was it a good it year a, for you? It was a good year for me. I was, oh, no. I was, I uh, travelled, I was there, uh, I was travelling for 11 months. Oh, so, well, yeah, well, was... I, well, I was travelling, psychedelically. Yeah. Love so it. I didn't I didn't quite I didn't enjoy the psychedelics. I didn't enjoy that. I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy um it was like all I, I can all I caught is like this demented clockwork orange scene all the time because my mind would not let go. My mind wouldn't let go. <clears throat> so the first thing that the plant tried to do, it tried to um make me let go um of like I remember thinking oh my god I'm in a room in, in a place in Fimu with people I don't know what could happen here I put myself into such a place of danger then the second and, and that didn't but my mind wouldn't let go that that wasn't enough to scare me <laughs> mm. the second thing is I had a vision of my children leaving me and that wasn't enough for me to let go the only thing that actually when I let go was having this like clockwork orange nightmare of um, vivid scenes of capitalism, of people literally abusing other people and it being okay, that successful wow. people could get what they were. And that was basically how we live. And at that point, I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. I must have been around this like clockwork orange scene for at least 15, 16 times. And then I just gave up and I died. Oh, so uh-huh. I died. But, oh, it wasn't great. Then, then, <laughs> I was in the oneness. Oh, you don't want to, and he's like, oh, wow. Oh, I remember saying to Joey, I was, and he loves the oneness, Joey. I went, I have never wanted to get out of somewhere as much in my life. Uh-huh. It was, I found it horrendous. It was I that. think it'd be better in the jungle, me. You, <laughs> you all be sweating. 
if, if you're doing that, you want to be sweating. Well, I'll tell you something, Jason. I, I, I did everything else bar sweating, honestly. And this, uh, like, well, well, I picture Jaws being like dead beautiful with the no, you know, northern was, lights or something like that. It was, it was, well, it was the, the strangest thing is that when I was in the oneness and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the oneness. And the so you're in the oneness after you died? After I died, I was in the oneness. Got it. And and I said, I don't want to be here. I don't like it. And the plant said to me, what do you want to see? And I went, I want to see the beginning of time. And the plant took me to see the Big Bang. Bloody hell. I, I know. I know. That's it, more intense than Coronation Street, isn't it? I, I, I've gone goosebumpy. You can't see. This is, this I, I, is, I have this a little it. bit. You know, it's, it's amazing. I, 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 when I, I talk this. about it all the time, I go goosebumpy. Um, because I remote viewed the Big Bang. And I saw everything. In that moment, I saw everything. Wow. And it was like, um, it, in that moment, it was um, it was like, you saw the futility of what was happening. You know, mm. you saw that, you know, people, that humans were not being human and that if we were, we'd, everybody would be thriving. Yeah. It was, it was like, um, it was so, it, it was so surreal, but very real at the same time. You know, but it's not very glamorous taking ayahuasca. You know, you, you wet yourself, mm. you yourself, you throw up. And it was like, I was coming around because I did, I was completely, I was out of it. I was unconscious for, ever, for all of it. But, you know, from throwing up at the beginning, I was unconscious. I was very aware of music in the room. I was very aware of, uh, I was aware of singing, but I wasn't conscious. And he, he played the same song. I was like, oh, please stop it. That was part of the Clockwork Courage. Please don't play that song again. I want to escape from this madness. Wow. And then when I was coming around, the, the shaman Jakob was leaning over me. And my friend, she was laughing so much. She said, you're in such a state. She said, at one point, I was like thinking, oh, my God, are we going to have to get an ambulance? Like, she said, I was literally, you were gone. And she said, she was there, I was very relieved. And she said, you were a mess. You were covered in sick. She said, it was obvious that you'd wet yourself. She said it was obvious that you know you you weren't in the best shape. She said that's like me if I have three drags of a spliff. <laughs> it's just like everything just there goes. goes. <laughs> and, and I just remember, I just like so I said, yeah, "Are you real? <laughs> are you real?" I was like touching him, wow. and like laughing, I was real. And I went, "Oh, that's really good." And I just went, "Do you know later? Do you fancy taking me out for a coffee?" My <laughs> friend Helen, she went. You were in such a state, she said, and you were flirting with the shaman in the state that you were in. I went, listen, I said, he saw me at my worst and was still actually saying to me, are you okay? I went, I thought it was fair game. I thought I'd go for a coffee. <laughs> the plant has cleansed it. Wow. So, um, and it, it was so profound. It was it was really profound. And um, I can, if I close my eyes, I, I can see the big bang itself. So... Are you glad you did it? And what were the benefits? Um, am I glad I did? Yeah, I am very glad I did it. Um, the benefits for me... Um, it wasn't like opening Pandora's box and... <laughs> no, um, I knew that I needed to have like sort of a spiritual death and I got that in the rebirth. And that, that mm. I didn't tell you about the rebirth. That was, that was bizarre. It was like I literally gasped for breath. I felt fluid I felt being reborn and um it, it was I looked like I'd been to war when I came around I was so white and um 
I am really glad that I did it because um, I, I had such limitations placed on me when I was very young and for me to do this now with you and to be out in the public domain and to speak to people and to be myself I don't think I would have been able to do that without actually going through that process because um, it sort of helped me it, it helped. I've never felt special in terms of a human being. I've never felt I had a very difficult um, childhood and that went into sort of adulthood and everything like that. And um, when I came around, I, I knew that my purpose was important and, and mm. that not many people would see the big bank. Mm. Everybody has their own experience with ayahuasca. Everybody has their own experience with the plant. Mm. My, my experience with San Pedro has always been very violent, very violent. It's always been like Star Wars. Always, right. always good battling evil with my San Pedro. It's like, that's like, it's like you say, never beautiful. Oh, look at that eagle. You know, oh, look, there's a white stag over there. <laughs> my San Pedro, it's like, Jesus Christ, how many, how many battles do I need to have? You know, it, it was like never been a gentle process. I, I, I like used to have my clothes were torn. It's like, how the hell has this happened? You know, where have I been? You know, um, but the ayahuasca for me, it was, um, it had to be very tough with me. It wasn't an easy ceremony, mm. but I, I wouldn't have learned what I did if it had been an, a nice, beautiful, oh, look, there's birds. Yeah. Like Snow White. <laughs> oh, look, look at that dolphin over there, which is all those beautiful colours. Yeah, that, that would not have worked for me. But, it but could... I suppose you got your bang for your buck <laughs> in some aspects because... Well, literally, the big, the big bang. Yeah. Yeah. The big bang for your book. See, that was totally. <laughs> you know, the overriding emotion now is that I don't want to die. I don't want to go to the wellness. <laughs> I don't want to die. I don't want to go back to that place where everybody else is. I don't want to. You know the, the film Soul? I don't know if, you, if you've ever watched it. I was like. Which film? Soul. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, thought, I actually have, really like have, it. Have Pixar been in my head? So, do you know, like when he's going to the oneness and he's like, mm-hmm. no. No, no, yeah. that was me. And I'm oh, like, wow. oh my God, have Pixar been in? I feel like literally downloading it. <laughs> <laughs> that, was ex- that was me. I do not want to go. I don't want to go there. And, I, wow. and, I, and I've not reconciled that. I argue with God all the time. I'm very disappointed with God. Very disappointed with him. What is God to you? Um, God is like you know the the overwhelming universal force. It's not like an anthrop- anthropological you know. Oh, there's an old man with a beard in the corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's not the it's not the Family Guy depiction of God. <laughs> it's not the American version of God. Yeah, it's like the creator. You know the creator. Um, and uh, you know I I just I I yeah I've not yet made my peace with God. So obviously I've still got lessons to learn about. Being godly, <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all? Well, yeah. I'm gonna I take a hard left turn right now and yeah. ask if I can indulge a little bit, somewhat in a more of a personal question. Yeah. So one of the things uh, I'm interested about. So first off, um, I'm sure you're aware of the the middle way. Yeah. With um, the buddies, talk about it. Yeah. And do you think that everyone can live in that manner? Or do you think that some people have more of a challenge? And I'll 
I'll be straight up. The reason I'm asking you this is so I, I so I, I got dyslexia. Mm. Um, I don't really feel that it affects me other than that I didn't read a book in its entirety until I was 21 and I managed to get all the way through school blagging it and no one noticing. See, this is what I mean when I talk about masking and camouflaging. Mm. You become a master. People with neurodiversities become masters. Yeah. <laughs> it's like literally, it's like, wow, it's such skill. Do you remember them books, Goosebumps? Do you, yeah. do you ever remember them? Yeah, yeah. I had them all. Never didn't read any of them. <laughs> But I collected them. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like, I like, and I, like I would just bag my it. way through it. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. But without digressing too much. So, um, and one of my best friends, um, he's really good, and he talks to me. Um, so basically, he says I'm an extremist, and I kind of am, <laughs> and I tend to do. I can just be 100 miles an hour on one thing or I'll go 100 miles away an hour the other way. Yeah. So if I get into something, whether it's working out, I'm going to be working out every day yeah. or, um, you know, and, but I often say, well, I believe that's my superpower. So mm. I can mm. go with that and I know my limitations, mm. but I don't know whether it's possible for someone to be able to, actually live that middle way and mm. not be an extremist or is it just are you just pushing too hard against the the grain there and that might be a um difficult thing to ask you to comment on but I don't think it is I think I think the thing is that so many people are prescriptive of how people should live mm. and I think as long as the way that you're living is beneficial to you Mm. and you are well from it and you thrive within it i'm 11 months of the year (laughs) you know and so maybe yeah maybe you have like one month where you just do something completely different that's good for the brain to do completely different you know Mm. i think sometimes there's a little bit too much around sort of the dogma that we should all live in a certain way because we all have differences genetic Mm. differences you know for example I work I wake up really really early and do my best work in the morning Mm. some people struggle to do that they do their best work in the afternoon and that's when I'm ready to just clock off Mm. that's the difference that you have to work with you know you know you know when you're best yeah sometimes um if somebody's looking for a different way of living is it that they're really unhappy with how they're living or is it they think they should be unhappy with how they're living because someone's told them that someone's told them oh you shouldn't live like that you should live like this you know yeah. so, so for me it's you know people need to explore what's good for them and what makes them feel better it's your life it's your experience and it's not for anybody else to dictate how that experience mm. should be it's and getting I, I, that balance, isn't it, between feedback and what works for you. And I suppose at times, like, it can feel quite lonely. Mm-hmm. It being within, and, and you'll connect with this, I'm sure, being the way that you operate. Mm. So, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, I need things, dit, 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 and I'm going to tick off all the boxes every day and I'm going to be great. But I might fall off the wagon big style for a few yeah. days. Yeah. My house is always really tidy yeah or it will go crazy <laughs> you know, yeah. for like a few days 
and then I'll get back on the the tidy wagon, shall we well, say? It, but how does that affect you? I feel like the, when my house is really untidy, mm. it's everything goes with it. So I'll also be more depressed, no, more depressed or sad. I, I use that term. Yeah. I don't struggle with depression. I get yeah, it. Like, it's just, every, yeah, it's like everyone does. Call it depression. It's just yeah, like, oh, exactly. It's so it's, <laughs> it's a label, isn't it? You're a bit fed up. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it's usually a good reflection of where I'm at. If well, if I start well, to well, I, well, what I would be asking then, I would be saying, so what purpose does being messy bring to your life? Because it will. There'll be a positive intention behind it. Uh, let me see how much I enjoy being organised. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's a purpose so if, if you're finding that not useful why don't you just say well what other ways can I explore being organized that I don't need to have my house messy because presumably it takes you a, a little bit of energy and time that you could be spending other things so like say how else could I express my need to be organized I don't need to let things get messy what else could I need to do mm, it's not that I, I, I need to get need for it to get messy it just happens no, there will be a need behind it. And this is this is the interesting thing about the reward system. Is that if I say to you, right, what's the definition of, re- of reward? What is your definition of, re- of reward? What is it? Definition of reward is... Yeah, I'm not uh, trying to trip you up. I'm promise I'm not trying to trip you up. Yeah. All right, uh, give, give me the generalized... It's a gift view. that you give to yourself after doing a task. Right, that's not how the brain sees reward. No. Right, so you have a need, an internal need, an emotional, often that's shown with an emotion or some sort of feeling to have that need, and the reward is whatever action you do to meet that need. So in this case, your reward is not cleaning the house. No. That's the reward, because that's the behaviour that follows that your need to be organised. Hmm. So you have to look at what is a better behavior to meet that need. Yeah. So people get reward. And this is, this is why people get in all sorts of problems. But it's like reward is really interesting because people, and again, we're going back to the old limbic system. People are manipulated into buying things, doing things, experiencing things in order to meet a need. So it's like, oh, if you feel pain, take this. Mm. If you want to look like you're successful, buy this. Mm. If you want to be cool, drink Bacardi. Can you mm. see how it works? And like, so the need is, I want to be cool. Yeah. I, I want to be the coolest cat in the group. So then, oh, what's the easiest way to do that? I'll buy Bacardi. That's not going to make you feel cool. That's actually mm. going to make you feel drunk and ill. And that's fine as long as you, I want to feel drunk, I want to feel out of control, and I mm. want to get messy. If mm-hmm. those are the drivers... Great, Bacardi is your answer. Mm. But the need is to be cool. And somebody's had that influence, put it, oh, I can look like that. I can be like that. I can be treated like that if I drink Bacardi. Does that make sense? Yes. So this is why we have very messed up need and reward systems. Mm. And that's why it's, you know, especially when it's like alcohol and drugs and, you know, it alters the protein expression and it's very difficult to for the brain you know it's like becoming an addict isn't a disease that's a choice yes but addiction is a disease Mm -hmm. because it changes the structure of the brain 
Does that make sense? Mm. I mean, even when I, I sort of say it, it's like, but when you look at the choice that someone has made to don't know, take take the have the first drink or have the first heroin shot, have take you know whatever is their drug of choice. Mm-hmm. It's like you look and what they want to do is desperately change their reality as quickly and as cheaply as possible. Yes, that that is their driver. That is a motivation for it. I want to change my reality as quickly as possible. And and that's it's, how yeah, yearning for something different. Yeah, it's like, well, when you when you look at, at most people who have addiction problems, then they're not like you know, there's a lot in the media about this emerging group of people with addiction problems who are middle class workers. Mm, mm. <laughs> and it's just like the, the, the majority of people with addiction issues are still people who have been traumatized, still people who have been deprived, still people mm. who live in poverty, still people who have no internal resources or external resources. Mm. And when you look at that, it's like, what, what choice do they really have? Mm. It's very, you know, minimal. And, you know, it's like, that's not, a, be, becoming the, the addict is not, a disease it's not like oh you can catch it <laughs> you know oh yeah. you know or you're an addict it's like but when you are addicted then mm. your your brain has changed structure and your proteins are expressed differently and mm. i think that, that you can cause then a condition or a disease so yeah mm. but yeah going back to your particular thing it's like if your need is to be organized then your reward by making things mess, allowing things to become messy, so then you can organize them. That makes perfect sense. Oh, so, so you think I'm doing it on purpose? <laughs> subconsciously. No, subconsciously. Subconsciously. Subconsciously, it's not. It's just. It's just a thing. Well, and and often sometimes it's just because I get busy. You yeah. know, I have a busy day, and then you can't. You know, if but, but this is really interestingly is that if you, if your priority, if your brain wants its priority to be organized mm-hmm. and then you're not when you suddenly become you've, you've allowed you know this this mess has, has happened mm. then that's going to be a pretty big alarm i bet you get anxiety if things are not organized yeah it's pretty bad yeah it's it's less than anxiety it's more i think it's more shame actually well but what, what's the mechanisms behind what, what do you feel Uh, I feel like I'm not a proper adult. I feel like I'm a little boy who oh, hasn't boy. cleaned up his toys. <laughs> oh, and I'm going to get in trouble. A, you're not being a grown-up, are you? Because you're being no. a God, you'd hate to see my desk right now. I hate my desk right now. <laughs> it's a good job you can't see it. You'd go, oh, my God, what is that? Do you know, I was thinking it'd be interesting. Yeah, I could do, like, look how clean this all looks. You should see what I'm surrounded by. <laughs> it's yeah. I know you look very clinical there. You know, sort of pop plant in your neutral background. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's hideous. <laughs> <laughs> I, what can I say? I've had a very busy day. Yeah, that's the thing. And then when you need to be organised, it's like that. For me, I, I'd be like, I'd be exploring what I'd be mind mapping what organisation means to you. Because mm. you might get some really interesting things popping up. I think it's because I tend to, I feel like I make better decisions in a tidy environment. If the environment's 
untidy, I start to make untidy decisions. Mm. Impulsive. You know, more likely to eat bad. Yeah. Or to get a beer or whatever. <laughs> you know. You're like a slippery slope. Yeah. Oh, my God, I've got yesterday's newspaper on the table, slippery slope. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like many people like that. Do you know what really bugs me, though, when people, um, when they say, you know, like somebody who's excessively tidy, oh, I've got OCD. I find that so disrespectful for people who have mm-hmm. got yes. OCD. Yeah. So disrespectful. It's like, no, you've not got OCD. <laughs> like, who's going to die if you don't clean up? Yeah. What, what rituals do you have to do while mm. you're cleaning up? Mm. What compulsions do you have to do over and over again in order to think that somebody's not going to die? That is OCD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having been excessively tidy, that's not OCD. Sure. That's just, that's just a control thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say just a control thing. That's not to minimise it, but it's not It's not um, a cognitive distortion. I see, yeah, I suppose, yeah. It, it, it's a bit of a spectrum, is it not? Um, well, you, like you sometimes know. I would have to, <laughs> I'd have this routine, right, when I used to go to one of my jobs and I'd make the cups of tea in the morning and I'd do the same way. And I'd, <laughs> I'd have this thing where I use the kettle to put a bit of boiling water on the spoon to sterilize it before it goes into the cup. But yeah. some days as a bit of a challenge, I'd go wild and I'd just shove it in the cup without sterilizing it. And that would be like a weird kind of challenge to break me yeah. out of that habitualness. Yeah. If you had OCD, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do that. Mm. That is, that is order. That is order. Yes. In the brain. And if you like cleaning and tight, yeah, and, and in these offices, who wouldn't sterilize the spoon? You were dicey with death there. I'm all for <laughs> sterilizing the spoon. You were dicey with death, not sterilizing that spoon. Yeah. I'm only, I'm only joking. I'm only I've joking. worked with some absolute barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> have a spoon then. Otherwise, you'd be like using a biro. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I'd just bring my own in, but I'd still sterilize it because <laughs> it's been in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about grief? Yeah, let's talk about grief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Was that smooth? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> I have a theory. Oh, do you want to hear my bro science? Yeah, go on. So um, I've noticed that if the people who I have, um, what's the word, repeated dreams about, mm. recurring dreams, sorry, yeah. not necessarily dead, but I tend to have the same people popping up over and over again from my past or wherever. And then I'm, I've come to the realizations that I believe it's un, it's un, uh, it's open loops. Mm. So they could be like ex-girlfriends, parents, people I went to uni with, mm. um, people, people who died mm. and people who I don't, people who I don't see anymore but we never said goodbye. Yeah. And they seem to pop up over and over and over again. Yeah. And I was like, is this just like a, is it almost a form of grief? And the brain is trying to close that loop. That's mm. my bro science. What yeah. do you think? Well, Jung, who is my favorite psychologist, mm-hmm. would have a lot to say around 
what symbols are within those dreams along with the people um why have you not tried to say goodbye in different ways apart from dreams if you, if you think that's what what the grief is is mm. there something that you might want to hold on to i mean the reason why we grieve is because we have attachments and um, because the brain wants us to the brain is quite um selfish in death in in terms of when we witness death it wants us to remember things because it wants us to know how to avoid that for ourselves. So we'll remember nuances. We'll remember um, specifics within that, and it's how to avoid. Brain. Yeah, the brain what, doesn't want to attached again. No, no. How to no? So the brain. So we 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 agree because we're attached to people. But the reason why we remember things in such clarity is because the brain, our brain, its job is to keep us alive. It doesn't contemplate death. Mm-hmm. Its job is to keep us alive, no matter what. It keeps. Mm-hmm. It wants to keep us alive. So if it witnesses death, it mm-hmm. wants you to notice what's going on. Wants you to remember in clarity, so that you can avoid the same thing happening to you. And it's as simple. Right. That is why we remember certain things about death, and why we, you know, we might see somebody wearing the same coat as the person who died last night, and they're like, oh my god, it's just like them. And it's that's what, that's mm. what the brain that's that's the limbic system. That's the limbic system does that. Mm. And you know, if you're having recurring dreams around, you know, certain people, do you want to keep having these dreams, or do you want to do you want to have closure? Oh, interesting one. Uh, some are pr- fairly neutral, although I tend to enjoy the dreams because they're always like, ah, oh, it's in your ages, and we always talk it out. Yeah. And yeah. And then some. Yeah, I I might as well share it. So um, I was a step parent for a while. Yeah. And um, so I was in her life like two till five. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I, I don't see her anymore because uh, me and a mum, mother aren't together. So that's a weird one for, for me to reconcile because. It's like it's like a death. Yeah, but they're still alive. But they're still alive, and same thing. Never had any closure. Yeah. Dropped off at school one day. That was and it. That was it. Yeah. Just happened. We ended up breaking up and yeah. whatever. Um, and I respect the decision from her mother to you know she did what yeah. she believes is right for the child or, or whatever. But um, yeah. And that was like two years ago. And I used to think about it all the time. It's less so now. It's not every day. Mm. But it's, you know, obviously you can still, and you can probably tell that it still affects me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, and I still have the dreams quite a lot. So, yeah, do I want to still keep having the dreams? But possibly, but, but, but they're almost they're kind of torture as well because, and you, I'm sure you've had this yourself where you might have, you're in a dream with someone who's passed and you're, you know, you're hugging them or whatever. Oh, and then you wake up yeah. and you go, oh, fuck's sake. It's like, it's just a dream. Yeah. No, but, sadly, I don't have nice dreams like that. I, I dream about alien invasions, that kind of thing. Oh, horrendous. wow. Horrendous. Yeah. Fascinating though, aren't they, dreams? Yeah. Well, well, I had a spate of dreams where I literally got murdered in my dreams and I had the um sensation of dying they were really disturbing wow I sometimes um have night terrors Mm. 
and they're incredibly intense and quite dangerous. So I used to have them more like a few years ago and then um, I stopped having them for quite a while and I've just picked up again recently, which is interesting because it tells you exactly where you're at in terms of your stress levels, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, like the other night I woke and I have my bedroom pitch Mm. black, Mm. obsessively so, (laughs) like my sleep and all the rest of it. And I, um, your hypothalamus will thank you. (laughs) And I, I woke right. So I'm in a dream, but I'm not. So, and basically, I it feels completely real, and I'm trying to climb out of this like just thing. Like they're just the walls were just like so high, and I couldn't get out. Mm. I then realize I'm stood on my bedside table. Wow. In the corner of the room. It's pitch black. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Wild. And then I have to like get down and then like try and like come back to baseline and then go back to sleep. Have you ever ever kept a dream journal? I did for a little while. Yeah. And then you stop doing it after a bit. But yeah, I I probably... (laughs) Because Why then you think, oh, what, what's the benefit in this or whatever? Yeah, so. Well, the so benefit I... is, is that you're looking for um, you're looking for patterns because that's what the dream is. What the dream is, is, you know, sort of the brain making sense, making patterns out of your experiences. So mm-hmm. you might want to, um, you know, you can look and see what recurring themes are. You can look and see if, if there's any symbols. And if you have really vivid dreams, what you can try to do is when you're going to sleep, try imagining your hands in a dream. And then when you're in the dream, if you see your hands, you can start to control the dream. Oh, it's like lucid dreaming. I, I actually can do a little bit of that. There you go. So you want to do more of it then? Like if sometimes I'll get like a dream where like I've been kidnapped or there's some just bad guys or, or whatever, and I'm really yeah. scared and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. and then all of a sudden I go, this must be a dream, <laughs> and then and then I just start absolutely like flipping about and kicking them in the face, and it's like this, and it's like my little movie. It's really, <laughs> it's and it's dead fun, yeah. and I'm like jumping off stuff, and it's amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, you need to read, you need to read Carlos Castaneda. Carlos Castaneda. Yeah. And and specifically, you need to read The Art of Dreaming. Uh, And the the Wheel of Time. There's a whole, it's about, he was an anthropologist in America in 1950s. And he went to study with um, a, a, a shaman called Don Juan mm-hmm. and um, learn all about energy and, and stuff like that. So you read the, <laughs> I know you said that you don't really like reading. <laughs> no, I, I love reading. So I'm I've, I'm an avid Audible. Oh, right. Well, I, I reckon you could get them on Audible then. But honestly, well worth. And I do like re- I do like reading. It's just difficult. Um, but yeah, Audible. And understanding and... about dreams, understanding about energy, understanding about different dimensions. Wow, Definitely. that sounds cool. It's very cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm such an abstract neuroscientist. I like music. <laughs> I'm like cutting edge. I'm like I, I watch behavior, and I also bring in you know 
a bit of the abstract to it. Mm, I love it. I love it. <laughs> right. So we've got a few different directions we can go in now. Mm. I'm going to give you some topics and you can select one, maybe two if you've got time. But yeah. Okay. Eugenics. Mm. Black pill stroke in seldom. Hey. Embarrassment. God, I feel like I'm on a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just my dreams. <laughs> Incidentally, the worst Black Mirror episode is 15 Million Merits. <laughs> Which just, one's that one? It's the one where they're all on a bike in that big um, warehouse and the only way out is to get on the talent show but you have to pay to get on the talent show. Oh, it's just, and it's like, oh, so I don't good. think I've seen that. I've, do you know, I've watched some of them and it's like, it's such a roller coaster, isn't it? Cause they'll, they'll do one that's kind of like a bit light and kind of really enjoyable. And oh, that was mm. kind of, and then you stick one on the next night after you have your tea or whatever. It traumatizes it's, you. <laughs> it's really heavy. And then you're like, you just don't know what, it, what it's going to come. So I can't decide like, do I love it? Or do I really despise watching Black Mirror? It's just like, yeah. yeah, it gives me nightmares. It's like that Pandora's box thing, isn't it? It's yeah, like it's you kind of do want to see. But, mm. Mm. Yeah. So let's think of it. Like, we'll start with eugenics. The thing is, on paper, social engineering should work, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just take the science out. Just let's just presume for one minute that we we, got, we could get the science right. So, and, you know, there, there'd be no repercussions. There's no side effects. Mm -hmm. we, we can do it. People are not harmed. You know, it's, mm -hmm. so let's just imagine that. So social engineering, it's like, who decides what is acceptable in society and what's not? Mm -hmm. Because I love difference. I, I, I even, like, somebody, somebody said to me once, like, um, you, you know, so why don't you just tell people how to be? You know, like, why is your formula like you do this and everyone can do this? I went, because that's not what how I want people to be. I want to explain to people this is how their body works, this is how their brain works, and they can choose who they want to be because it's their life. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, what if someone's really extreme? I went, this is really interesting because what I found is that the more you give people permission to be extreme and you don't embarrass them, you don't shame them, you don't guilt them, they, they become more moderate they actually become more middle ground but it's because like of that, that natural pushback or yeah it's like yeah. it's like so they start to open up you like say to somebody well just accept yourself as you are this is who you are and, and if this is who you want to be then oh, you so you remove right. that tension yeah and then mm. they tend to get a little bit more moderate mm. you know so it's like for social engineering you know even though i you know, I have been guilty of saying if I was in charge of social engineering, things would look a lot different. But mm. he's to say that I'm right. He's to say that my utopian vision is mm. for everybody. Mm. So, you know, that's from like sort of the social aspect of everything, mm. from a scientific aspect of everything. Oh, God, where'd you start? Gene therapy. You know, when we have one success story, right? there's literally tens of thousands of people who it's not worked for. It's not sensitive enough. It's not individualized enough. Uh -huh. It's like um, gene therapy should be individual medicine because we all have a different genetic makeup. Yeah. You know, apart from identical twins, 
then they could share genetic code. Everybody <clears throat> else should have their own. Uh, have their own. This is your this is your um, therapy, whatever that may be. Uh-huh. But it, it doesn't. It, it's not accurate enough. Yeah, it's not. Uh-huh. I, I don't think that they don't know enough about it. The vectors where they deliver it, they don't know enough about the vectors. They tend to use viruses. Um, tend to um, naturalize viruses so they're not harmful, and because viruses are very um, successful. Yeah, inside cells. Um, but it, it's like when I, I was doing molecular biology um, prior to my PhD research because I wanted, obviously, going back to it, I wanted to do my own. <laughs> I wanted to, mm. I wanted to enjoy genetic, you know, like, um, with proteins. So I did um, molecular bio. I did three molecular biology um, courses so that I, I could be up with the techniques and understand mm-hmm. and. You know, a lot of that was around sort of genetic um, interventions, and yeah. it was like they're just—they've just not there yet. Sure. Like, hearing, you know, hearing the news, and I know there's been a big conference going on this week about the ethics of it. They want to, you know, they want the, the government, the UK government, to alter the ethics around um, genetic therapies in this country. Mm. Obviously, there's a, a huge, um, a huge conversation, and probably you know there'll have people who are set against it, people who are all for it, and people in the middle. And mm-hmm. that's like a conversation when you're considering all sides. But mm. it's it's really difficult because you know they tend to use plant models and animal models before mm-hmm. they use human models. Mm-hmm. There's very strict. Um, guidelines on how far an embryo can go and you can test it very strict guidelines um so that you've got a very short life of of um, you know i think i think it's up to a blastocyst i don't think it's anything beyond a collection of cells Mm -hmm. and human beings are not mice human beings are not rats human beings are not fruit flies we share a lot of the yeah. genetic similarities, but we are not those models. Yeah. It's like, how do you produce something that is Have they thing? done anything on humans? Yeah, there was a Chinese scientist who... I was going to say, I thought they'd done something in China. <laughs> yes, yes, there has. And he he was not allowed to do... He, he wasn't supposed to do it, but he did it. Just he went rogue. Yeah, just went rogue, yeah. So um, I'd, I'd choose another state to go rogue in. To be fair, well, it's it, well, uh, well, things like that. You know, he he doesn't seem to have been punished for it. You know, he's that's interesting. Still, so still, still um, making comments. He he's not actually remorseful for what he did. He's, uh, remorseful, uh, he's remorseful for how the news came out. Right. Uh, so so remorseful for what he did. So it's it's interesting. And what happened with? Well, the baby was born. So. And do we know we'll anything we'll about see. the baby? Right. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll see what happens, won't we? Yeah. It's something I I I don't really know much about it. I was I heard some stuff about it recently, mm. and it did pique my interest. And yeah. you know, it's kind of like because I suppose the social argument is that we do it anyways in the way that we select partners you know certain traits or whatever we've been doing it for 
millennia or whatever. But yeah, and am I right in saying that with IVF, you get the choice, so you can choose from. Uh, well, they certainly they fertilize, but it's not editing. Yeah, that's the difference, editing. right? Yeah, it's yeah. Not editing. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because I think you know nowadays you can choose to pay extra and have like the sperm go through um, special viscous fluids so that mm-hmm. you really do get the strong ones. Who right. reach the end. Oh so, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting because obviously if you just like put sperm in a petri dish and uh, with an egg. It's oh. like, and there's, and there's none of the environmental conditions that yes. you know, in a vagina or a uterus or anything, you know, fallopian tubes or anything like that, then you might not necessarily get the strongest, fittest sperm. But that if is it's fascinating. Through, if it's going through liquid. I've never thought about that. Yeah, wow. many, people, many people don't, yeah. Do you know, and, and, and sometimes what I say to people, like if they're ever feeling a little bit down or they've got imposter syndrome or whatever, yeah. I just say, well, just remember, remember that race that you did when you're a sperm you did yeah. bloody well so yeah I, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it's an extreme environment there it is i think everyone should have a trophy on the wall for that one oh, we well, do and it's called life yeah exactly <laughs> yeah oh my god that, that's so cheesy <laughs> but just things like say say the this where did they start oh they might start with oh we'll start with someone who has an extra chromosome and we can we can edit that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's useful. Then you know, parents are not going to go through the sadness of realizing that there's a genetic abnormality in their baby that may it might not survive birth. So yeah, so sure. you just, you know, that's great, isn't it? That's great. Mm-hmm. And they go, yeah, well, you know, I've already got three green-eyed children. I want a blue-eyed child. Oh yeah, we can do that. What's the, how's that going to harm anybody? And you get like the boiled frog effect. Yeah, it's like one. Yeah, it's having those boundaries and what? How much is too much? And then you know, do we end up in in a position where our gene pool is really limited because we only like you know, let's use a Nazi formula: blue-eyed, blonde-haired babies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where does it end? Yeah. And is is isn't not? Yeah, we do have tragedies, in particular genetic mutations. You know, Mm -hmm. who knows why they happen? Nobody knows why they happen. It yeah. just happens at times, you know. And this is the thing, there's no blame. It's just part of life. Mm. But equally part of life is joy. And yeah. if we don't experience tragedy, how do we know what joy feels like? Yeah. You make everything very, meh, you know. Sort of reductive. Mm. Very reductive. It's yeah. very reductive. So like on paper, it's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we can get, you know, a whole country of like-minded people that I'm not mm. going to be angry or frustrated or triggered and I'm not going to cry in the morning because now women think it's okay to go into a room and smash it up and, and that's what womanhood is now, you know. Yeah. But is Do you it- know, it's a weird one and I, and I think, and I was thinking about it and I was thinking, well, you know, would I, I don't, you know, would I, and, I, you know, I don't have, a disability or anything you know but if if there was a way to edit out a certain thing i didn't like about myself yeah to have a slightly easier life Ooh, did, that you, whole... did you not see the star trek episode which was star trek voyager mm. where balana torres who was klingon half klingon mm-hmm. was having a baby with tom paris who was human mm-hmm. 
and she she got pregnant she was having a baby and she genetically altered her baby to be pure human okay. because she didn't she didn't she thought being having Klingon was negative that she mm-hmm. was impulsive she was angry she was aggressive and she altered the baby and Tom Paris went absolutely insane at her and he said those bits of you that you hate about yourself are the bits that I admire you the most for and I want our daughter to mm. have the traits so who are we to decide what is the good or best or bad about us yeah that's such a good point mm-hmm. and I think yeah and what I what I was going to say as well was that I don't think I think I like the challenges I yeah. think I like the the differences as much as yeah. it's difficult at times yeah and because you're just like bring it on come on yeah. let's have it <laughs> yeah well th- this is the thing and I think the important thing is, is it's like sort of touching a bit on what I was saying about you know the gene therapy around PTSD and, and certainly when you do research with people who have got bipolar mm. and you say would you want it taken away and mm. they'll go no I wouldn't want yeah. it and it's like I have complex PTSD would I not want to have it and it's like who would I be if I didn't have that capacity to understand people who are in pain you know who who what would I be doing and and it's like it is it's it it's important to recognize that it's it's a part of who you are yes but it doesn't define who you are you, you might you might be you know Jason who is incredibly organized but also he has dyslexia so sometimes he needs help to decipher words because it's just too hard of a background but you know you are so much more than both those things mm. that's just two elements of you but yeah. you're so much more besides and it's like you know we all have the capacity to be mean we all have the capacity to be nasty we all have the capacity to have all these so-called negative emotions but yeah. we also have so much more than that and, Absolutely. and that's, that's humanity and we need to celebrate that and, and not vilify ourselves yeah is it that that's that leonard cohen quote the cracks in everything that's where the light gets in yeah yeah as long as you don't take me to the oneness i'm all right with that yeah (laughs) do you want to move on to one of these other topics because the one i've been thinking about is the black pill Mm. incel do you know anything like are you familiar with that whole yeah Uh, yeah it's really interesting I, i read um i read this uh letter that someone had asked like an agony aunt who said mm. that um that they were an incel but they actually had lots of female friends okay. which was kind of paradox well i suppose that could be um like the guy that gets friend zoned yeah friend zoned all the time but but uh, yeah but how can you be an it did you say it was an incel yeah because don't incel yeah. hate women. Yeah. Women. yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what I was really confused about. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, again, it's like, so obviously incel, involuntary celibate. Maybe you can be simultaneously an incel, an involuntary celibate, and it doesn't necessarily have to have misogyny attached to it. Mm. But we tend to blame the women <laughs> for their involuntary celibacy. I suppose because the reason I say black pill stroke inceldom, and I wasn't sure on the black pill is the ideology, yeah. inceldom is the type it, it, of person. Happened, yeah, that type of person. That's what I mean. So, but what comes first, the person or the ideology? Mm. I, so I think so. Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, maybe you could be an incel, 
Are you drawn what? to the ideology because you've been rejected by women or do you, do you have the ideology and decide that you want to deliberately make yourself so that women reject you? Mm. It's, it's like, it's, it's really interesting because all ideology, you have to sort of look and think, what is the purpose for it? What is somebody getting out of this? Why is this attractive to them? And is it, is it attractive to someone to think it's nothing to do with me and it's everything to do with the opposite sex and it's their fault. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's almost like sort of saying, you know, that somebody deserves to get raped because of what they're wearing or someone gets yeah. to, deserves to get burgled because they left the door unlocked. Mm. Someone deserves to have the car pinched because they forgot to lock the car, you know, mm. or or they they've parked a, a lovely fancy car in a in a deprived area, so they deserve for that car to get pinched, you know. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like and it's like with all ideology, it's um you, you have to sort of think what is the purpose behind this? What's it trying to do? And if you have somebody who's an incel do they want to actually understand why they might be repugnant to women? Or is it just that they've not repugnant to women, they've just not been in the right place to meet just the right not, They've just not had the right mentors yeah, or the right... Just, yeah, and, and it's just like, but what do you want? Do you want to remain an incel? Well, crack on with that ideology. That's going to work for you all day long if you mm. want to remain in, in that. Mm. And who are we to say what people should do? But if they don't, if they want to meet a significant other yeah. then they're going to have to change themselves to make them less frightening make them less opinionated make them less extreme make yeah. them less black and white so it depends what they want the outcome to be surely because we can't you know could, can we go around telling people who's to be should we you know that's you know an interesting concept in itself isn't it yeah i think it's uh i mean i definitely you can kind of well you can see why it's happened because everything is just you know with online dating and everything now and it seems it's like so toxic the whole environment yeah. is toxic people it's... forgot how to connect yeah it's just it's just awful it's i just i look and i just think when how is this going to end not well mm. but it's it's like you know, just the influences that are out there. And if somebody, if all somebody can do is go, it's, you know, going back to that TikTok of hell, if you get mm. dragged down the rabbit hole and you're giving images over and over again, that convince your brain that that's the truth. Mm. You know, and it's like, you know, for all these men who are in cells, what relationship did they have with the mother? Yes. Because that often is where the problems have started. Mm. What, how, how were they treated as a little boy? Mm. How would they treat I, I think there's there's real issues around masculinity and massive like, issues. Yeah, I mean, I actually believe um, I don't agree with some of the stuff around um, the way that masculinity is um, what's the word uh, reviled somewhat because I think there is healthy masculinity. And, we need more good male role models. Yeah, and we're, I think we're just lacking lacking role models. And this is why I turn to podcasts quite a yeah, lot because I can find, and, and, and like everyone does, I mean, the whole Andrew Tate thing, you can see why he has that appeal 
Do you, do you know who he is? Yeah. I know who Andrew yeah, Tate yeah. is. And, and, and like, interestingly, and, and this is like, it's not straight, it's like the same thing with charisma. It's like, mm. how, does it, how does one man convince millions of soldiers to get behind him and go to war? Mm. Say, you're probably going to die, but come yeah. on, come join me. It's the same mentality. Yes. It's, like giving, it's giving a sense of purpose. Yeah. And I, think, I think for lots of boys, lots of young men, I think it's so they don't even know how, how to be men anymore. I think no. it's just, you know, you, you can't say the wrong thing. And this mm-hmm. is and it goes back to intention. It's like, why would you get so upset with someone for saying something wrong if their intention wasn't to upset you? They've basically not exactly or they basically said the wrong word. Why yeah. do you have to make such a big it's like say, well, I wouldn't quite put it like that. What were you trying to what were you meaning by that? Let's work mm. like let's so and and then it's like not going to end up in tragedy, is it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's like really concerning because I I have a little boy myself. You know, it's t- and mm-hmm. for him, he's got two sisters. Yeah, a big sister who's um, thirteen years older than him, and a little mm-hmm. sister who's thirteen months younger than him. Right. And, he, and then he has me as a mother, and it's like for him, you know, it's like it, 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 I really strive to find positive male role models that he can look at and think that's what a man is you should take him to jiu-jitsu yeah well he likes football and it's so like fo- well at least he's in a team sport yeah i always think because i did a little bit of jiu-jitsu and then i got injured and i'd like to go back or whatever but i thought that would be an amazing, amazing thing to, to yeah. get into yeah. discipline connection mm. control respect yeah and like I feel oh, no. like if any if everyone knew jujitsu, I mean they'd not to choke each other out, but <laughs> I feel like there's yeah. yeah that's, that's the last resort though, isn't it? It's like you you know, you go for everything else before you choke them out. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you're actually oh we don't go full out choking straight away. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I, just uh... think, I think it's really I think it's really interesting. And I'm not I'm not a feminist. And I'm going to get lynched for saying that. If I start getting hate hate letters and hate me emails, and I just hope people that people... You can't get cancelled if you're not on, on socials. I <laughs> was oh, so funny. My, my, well, my, my, um, my daughter's boyfriend laughed because I was on GB News um, a couple of months ago. And he went, oh, my God, I think you're the only person to go on GB News has never been cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not on anything. I can't really get cancelled off stuff down, can I, because I write that. <laughs> so what were you myself. talking about? On... Oh, I was talking about the Queen's death. and Really? I was, yeah. And I didn't I was, expect that. No, I, no, it was very interesting and this you know the outpouring of grief and you know I yes. and I was like they tried to put a name to it I and I no that's not and I was just like people are in pain because of the pandemic and it's a very real and acceptable way of showing this pain yeah and I said but I I just I said you know people are real and they've been treated really badly and now it's like they're being being, being given permission to grieve something openly. So you're yes. going to get a lot of transference, you're going to get a lot of projection. It was very difficult for me to be so diplomatic and tactful. I'm sure. In yeah. a subject which I was, um, you know, I, I just, I, I interestingly, I did um, some presentations on the neurology of grief for um, an organization um, around Christmas. And quite a lot of people who were accessing the help of that organization had parents siblings died during the pandemic not from covid 
but from mm-hmm. other things and mm-hmm. the trauma that they suffered from not being able to comfort their loved ones to have a normalized death normalized setting yes. and to not have this celebration in a funeral after it they had developed ptsd because of that they hadn't got trauma before that event and and it just you know we it went makes, through it. Yeah, it was horrendous. It makes you cry. It makes you cry that that for what? Be, you know, and especially I, I, I'm like, and I think this is why I've been so upset about the environment this week. It's like I wrote copious amounts of emails and letters to various departments, various MPs during the pandemic, and said, "What are you doing? This is this is morally wrong. You are." literally poisoning a whole um population with fear with anxiety mm-hmm. and well and i got such trite you know comments back and i'm like i'm a professional I'm, I'm like an expert in the brain and the nervous system and then you read all of these whatsapp messages where they knew what they were doing they knew what they were knew, they deliberately did it yeah. why are people not writing in the streets they deliberately did it you well know, because they were cautioning them as well <laughs> no. well no that's what I mean now it's like why is it not so not, it doesn't seem it's like where's the mechanisms to make sure that this doesn't happen again well that's in the trying well they're trying to take that away and with all the you know the laws <laughs> well, that with Brexit the, with, with, with anti-protest with, laws and stuff exactly, exactly. which is terrifying isn't it mm. and it's like and this is the thing and the one thing you know you talked about hope I, I don't really like hope <laughs> I, I don't like hope but well, don't forget you know I would imagine if you were in World War Two, or if you were uh, a Native Americans when all the Europeans were yeah. coming over, that you, that was the end of the world. And mm. I think that's why sometimes it's it's so easy to get swept up and feel like everything's yeah. coming to an end. But yeah. perspective, you know, well, we've got to be grateful for what we have. Well, well, the thing. Mm, see, I don't. I, I like to. I like to say that I appreciate the people that I come across that renew my faith in humanity because mm. I feel far between. But it's nice to see them when I do. And that's all you can do. Exactly, and that and it? that's the thing. It, it really is, and it's just like you know, you you see people, you hear from people, and you know, um, you come across people and you think wow you know you have a different perspective you have a different way of looking at things this is really interesting and it just not everybody is that brain dead dopamine addicted love island domino pizza eating slob who literally Mm. is just passive and being nasty to everybody else yeah we have still have the people who literally are the shining lights and, and that's what and that's but what we have to believe in those people too because they they have we have to believe in them this is the thing about eugenics as well if we don't have people to blame what kind of government are we going to have that's a question i have hmm we have to have a dictatorship or a totalitarian state because that's the only way they could keep order. Because right now we have so much division where a vast majority of society blame another part of society and they blame another part of society. We have all this division. So we, mm. we don't come together. If yeah. we don't have division because everybody 
is the same. So everybody, you know, who do we blame? Who do we blame for the wrongs in society? You can't, there's no one to blame. The government can't blame anybody because everybody's the same. So they have to be totalitarian. They have to be, we have to live in a police state. Someone, that's, that's another argument against eugenics. <laughs> yeah. I heard someone say the other day on a podcast, and it wasn't that tongue-in-cheek, and he just said, they'd just uh, edit out the Y chromosome. Wow. So that's for all you feminists out there. Wow. <laughs> Which is wild. I mean, kind of makes sense, other than the fact well, that it's inter- disgusting. Interestingly, <laughs> in, times of, in times of stress, interestingly, from a biological perspective, um, women are more likely to spontaneously abort to have a miscarriage of male fetuses because male fetuses are not able to cope with stressful environments. Wow. Yeah. So that, that is a biological fact. That's fascinating. Yeah. Male fetuses are a lot more weaker than female ones. Right. Boys need a lot more nurture. They need a lot more interaction. They need a lot more cuddles and the less... They certainly do. And that's what we need to do. We need to whip that rhetoric on its head. Like, oh, don't be don't be a girl, don't cry. And they like boys need nurturing, they need emotional yeah. support, they need love. Yeah. Then they can be men. I do feel as well though, like sometimes it's this it's this balancing act as well. But then there's sometimes it's like get yourself together. Come on. Let's like you you like I feel sometimes I wish I had more of that in my life Mm. but then I don't know maybe I have had it and I just didn't respond to it but you know that kind of just like I was thinking about having stop being a fanny tattooed (laughs) on me that's really offensive Uh, oh god it is is it oh I never really think of it like that but of course you know know that's not my intention (laughs) yeah (laughs) but dick sounds yeah stop being stop Stop. being a wet kipper stop being a dick yeah, and it's kind of like, but but, well, but I think it not. makes sense. No, maybe not. Maybe sometimes it's just like you know, it's not about that. It's just about don't let yourself be distracted. Keep your focus. Keep your eyes. Yeah, on I mean, it's just it's if diff- it's it's um different ways of saying it, isn't it? It's like get out of your own way. Well, yeah, but I'm really I'm really big on words. Words are really important to me, so it's really important. Like my partner, he says I'm like very pedantic, but. I will want him to use the right word to describe something. And if he doesn't, I'll say, no, mm. that's not the right word. That doesn't yeah. mean that. And I find it really important, you know, like language and stuff like that. So, and like for me, it's like using, you know, sort of like almost like, and I can see like you're doing yourself down, but in a jokey way, the brain doesn't mm. see it as a jokey way. So it's like literally, keep your eye on the prize I'm, I'm not one for like it's all about the journey man i'm not one of those it's like if you want to do you have to recognize that if you want to achieve something it's not easy it's mm. not just gonna work. i hate i hate pseudo psychology i hate the law of attraction i hate stuff like that so it's people up to fail because let yeah. me tell you if, if all i had to do was think positively i'd be like sorry i need to go yeah. meet Tom Hardy now yeah <laughs> let's go, go meet tom we're going for drinks <laughs> in london you know that doesn't happen it's like when we want to do something, it's difficult, it's hard. Mm. It's worth it if we want to do it. So but yeah, it's that applying that forward it, motion, isn't it? That motivation, which is a prefrontal cortex function. Mm. Um, motivation is overrated. Use discipline instead. Well, motivation you need. You need motivation to start with the discipline. You need true. to be motivated before you have discipline. And but it's not a cognitive function. 
you need to have energy in your brain. That's what you need to do. If your brain isn't energized, you've got no motivation. Before we go, what's next for Dr. Rachel? Um, what's next for me? Um, I just want to create a better and kind of world. Like, and mm. I know like for everything I say, I'm going what for me personally, I'm going to have to, when I say that my mantra is one brain at a time, I need to ac- accept that one brain at a time is enough. Mm-hmm. But that's enough. So mm-hmm. for me, it's that acceptance that if you've helped someone to create their own better and kinder world, then that's something pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Mm. And if people want to find out more about you, drracheltaylor.com. No, it's just, I'm just on Substack. Okay. I don't even have a .com. So it's like, I did use to have a .co.uk, but I don't use that anymore. I just gotcha. use, I'm just on Substack. So find you on so Substack. Dr. Rachel Taylor on Substack. That's it. You'll yeah. find that. And... <laughs> and your broken podcast, which you'll find on Spotify and Apple, iPlayer. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Rachel. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. You're welcome. All right. It's been a, it's been a joy. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot.